0: So I wanted to go back there again, and um, we'll just kind of see what God wants to do. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith lives in the unseen. If you see it, it's not faith, but faith resides where you haven't been yet. And verse 2 says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony the king james says a good report that means regardless of the report that the world is showing you you can get a different report you can get a different testimony for by faith the elders obtained a good report by faith we understand verse three we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of god so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible and and i love how faith is correlated with what you're looking at. Faith is correlating with what you're looking at. It's connected to your vision. It's connected to your sight. It's connected to to what you're putting your eyes on. But we just saw that faith uh, resides in what cannot be seen. And then we have this verse, that things which are seen were not made of things, uh, things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That means... That the unseen yields the seen. The unseen yields or gives birth to the seen. That means everything that you see in this world has a source in something you cannot see. And we discovered last week that the worlds were framed. That regardless of the picture that God saw in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 2, the earth was void. It was empty, right? There was There was a bunch of chaos going on. But yet God said, I'm not moved by what I see, but I'll change what I see with what I say. Let me say that again, because you need to grab a hold of that point today, that you will change what you see with what you say. So God said, let there be light. Was there light before God said it? No, the answer is no. There was no light before God said it, but then he spoke and he saw what he said God saw what he said and so we've got to understand this just pulling back again from last week that it's not about what you see but it's about how you see what you see right probably every husband in this room has heard the statement at some point it's not what you said it's how you said it it's not what you said but it's how you said it And so last week we used the phrase, it's not what you see, but it's how you see it. That's called perspective. That means two people can be looking at the same situation and get two different results, right? Two people can be looking at the same situation and get different results. And usually, uh, typically, the one that gets the better result is the one that sees the better result. Amen. So it's not what you see. But it's how you see it. And that's how faith operates. And today I want to talk to you about I see it now. I see it now. And that will make more sense as we go on here. That will that'll, that, that'll, uh, uh, really come into play and, and, and you'll get a better image of that. But I see it now. And, and, and how many of you have ever been looking at something and you were missing something the whole time? And then you come back and it's like, oh, wow, it was right in front of me. The whole time. Isn't it interesting that we can miss what has always been there just as much as we can see what really isn't there? We can miss what has always been there. Last week we talked about seeing what's not there. See you, you. You have that work situation that you hate, and you've just been hoping for a new job. And God's wanting you to see the situation different. He doesn't want to give you a different situation necessarily. He wants you to see your current situation differently. You, you see that. You you see that that God's not always trying to remove you out of situations that you hate, whether it be your marriage, whether it be your finances, whether it be your children, uh, whether it be your job, or or you know, maybe your your paycheck. Maybe it's things about yourself that you don't like. And maybe God's not wanting to remove you out of situations. Maybe he just wants to help you see the situation differently. But this week, I want to talk about how sometimes we miss things that have always been there. Last week, we talked about seeing what's not there. But this week, I want to talk about learning uh, to grab a hold of things that have always been there and you didn't even I see it now. I see it now. And going over to, uh, let me give you this verse. Uh, Let's see, where do we want to go? Genesis 15. Go to Genesis. Go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. I see it now. seen a movie, and things just aren't making sense, and then finally you get to the end, and everything comes together. It's like, oh, it's like a light bulb comes on. You can literally watch light bulbs pop on above people's heads. like, oh! That's, it's like inside jokes, you know, or things that you'll get it later, you know, those kind of things. And uh, So, that's what we're talking about. It's been there the whole time. But we just need to learn to see it. Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to start with verse uh, 13, Genesis 15:13. Then he said to Abram, God speaking to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. He's prophesying to Abraham, and he's saying, you guys, uh, you're going to first of all be a father of many nations. He's already telling Abraham stuff that he can't see, Right? There's, there's, there's no physical, natural way for Abraham to be a father of many nations, much less the father of one child. And, and, and he doesn't say you're going to give birth to one child. He says you're going to be a father of many, that every child beyond that is going to belong to you. You're going to be a father of many nations. And now he's promising them, uh, promising him that they're going to end up in what we actually know as the promised land. They will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. He's talking about Egypt. He's talking about Egypt there. They will afflict them 400 years, verse 14, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Where's here? The promised land. This land that I have promised you, promised, E.D., that denotes past tense, has happened. In the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking Uh, oven and a burning torch. Actually, I don't even need to go that far. Verse 16 is where I wanted to wrap up. Fourth generation, they shall return here, the promised land, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Jump over to Numbers. Now we're going to jump ahead thousands of years later. That was Abraham we're talking to. Now we've gone through Joseph because of Joseph's uh, interpretation of his dream. Uh, The Hebrews, the Israelites, end up in slavery To the Egyptians, just as God said, it's amazing how uh, uh, we, you know, God gives the direction and the guidance here on both sides. He says they're going to end up in slavery, but they're also going to end up in the promised land. And it's amazing how, you, you know, regardless of what God has done in our lives, sometimes how difficult it is for us to have faith for the next thing. I mean, if he said, you're going to end up in slavery and you're going to come out, and they come out, Moses shows up as a deliverer, sets them free from slavery, then why wouldn't he have the ability to fulfill the rest of the promise and get them into a promised land? Right? I mean, so far, everything that God has said is happening. They ended up in slavery to the Egyptians in a land that's not theirs, and they will be in bondage. But after the fourth generation, 400 years, after that goes by, they'll come out. Moses comes and delivers them. It's interesting how quickly, we forget, when when I was growing up, we used to sing a song that said, uh, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. But we always talked about it in past tense. He healed my body. He healed my body. He touched my life. He saved me just in time. I got any Pentecostals in here that can agree with me on that one? Anybody know this one? I don't want to start seeing it because you might start running around the room and start throwing stuff. Get my organ player up here and start going to town. Look what the Lord has done. Well, what about what he's going to do? What about what he still has yet to do? But here's the thing is is we live in past, present, and future. But God doesn't live in past, present, and future. Let me just ask you a question without going any further. When did God give the Israelites the land? As of right now, they are in a wilderness. Moses has brought them out. They're on verge, they're on the verge of going into what God has promised them. But when did God give them the land? When he said it or when they see it? See, God doesn't live in past, present, and future. Therefore, when God says it, it is. Get here to to Numbers chapter 13 and starting with verse 26. This is after the spies have gone into the land. And verse 26 says this. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation. This is the power of a word, guys. This is the power of a word. brought back to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land then they told him and said we went to the land where you sent us it truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit nevertheless the people who dwell in the land are strong the cities are fortified and very large moreover we saw the descendants of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites. That sounds familiar. The Amorites. The Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. The reason why that sounds familiar is because back in Genesis uh, chapter 15 that we just read, uh, we have the whole list of descendants uh, listed there. I did want to continue there. Uh, uh, that has the whole list of descendants, and one of them is the Amorites. And he says, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here, the promised land, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to send you back into the promised land to destroy people that are doing evil in my sight, is what he's saying. So now we get... Thousands of years later, and the the Israelites come out of Egypt, they see those very Amorites as someone that's trying to stop them rather than someone they should be trying to stop in the name of the Lord. What's that? Perspective. God saw it a lot differently. God saw them going in and overcoming them. They saw them going in and the Amorites conquering them. We read on here. We read on here in Numbers chapter uh, 13, verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. He's not denying that there's something in the land. He's saying that we can get a different outcome. He has a different outlook. Therefore, he believes in a different outcome. He's got a different. He says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We were told. Let me remind you guys of something. When our Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he spoke to Abraham, he said that all these tribes would be here. He listed them. This is no surprise, but we're supposed to go in and conquer them. We're supposed to go in and overcome them. But that's not the same outlook that the ten spies had. So we keep going. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not well able. We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. That was never to be a determining factor. That was never to be a determining factor. God didn't mention if they were stronger or not. He just said, look, when you get there, you're going to overrun them. You're going to get them out. You're going to overcome them. You are the answer that I've been waiting for. I need you to go in and run these people out because this is your land. I need you to take over this territory. They don't belong there. He didn't say, now when you get there, you need to determine if they're stronger than you because if they're stronger then you can't do it. But if, but if you get there and, and they look weaker, then go for it. That was never in the conversation. But this is what we do. We allow our current position to determine our future provision. We allow our current position to determine our future provision. And God says your current situation never determines my future provision for you. What you're currently in and how bleak it looks and how bad it looks, how bad everything seems to be going, everything's fine. That does not determine whether or not my word that I gave in the past is going to determine your future. Past, present, future. But God doesn't live there. When he says it, it is. That's why he looked to Moses and said, whatever you need, I am. I am whatever you need, regardless of what happens down the road. That's why Jesus could say it seven times in in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am. I am. I am. I am the resurrection and life. Not I was. Not I'm going to be. Because as time goes forward, he remains current. Right? God's word is timeless. It will never pass away. It will remain forever. It's the only thing that will remain forever. So when he says, I'm going to bring you into the land to a man named Abraham thousands of years before the Israelites are even born. It's still true when they got to that cliff and they looked over the the cliff and saw the territory and saw the land and regardless of what was in it, God's word was true. Because your current position never determines your future provision. Only God's word determines that. But yet this is how we live. This is how we live. We live like God's word, like, like, like when God said it, he didn't really word has every answer, every, every solution for every problem you could ever come against in life. But if you don't make it relevant to your situation today, it'll never produce. It'll never produce. Because you keep thinking that this is past tense. You keep thinking this is a history book. You keep think, you keep thinking this is about what God has done, but he can't do the same for me. I mean, come on. If we really believe that the same God that saved David from from the hand of Goliath is the God that we serve, we would live much different. If we believe that the same God that allowed Jesus to walk on water is the same God we serve, we would see things a lot differently. If we really believe that the same God that brought the Israelites out of 400 years of bondage and slavery is the same God that can bring you out of your bondage and slavery, we would live a lot different. But I'm afraid that we are allowing our current situation to, to determine our future provision rather than allowing God's. Word to determine that. And this is what happens. That's why we have to see it now. I see it now. I see it now. Now I see it right now. This moment, this instant. I see it now. I see my finances changing now. I, I, I see my marriage restored now. I see my job situation healed now. Everything I'm believing for. I see it now. Right now. Because. What you can see. Will affect. What you can have. What you see. provided the promised land for the Israelites he has already uh, spoken his word over it and God's word isn't past tense and it's not future tense it's present it's current it belongs to you right now but if you never see it you will never have it if you don't see your marriage restored you won't have a restored marriage If you don't see your finances different, you'll never obtain the promises of God's word over your finances. If you don't see a situation in life different, then you'll never have it different. You have to have a different outlook if you want to have a different outcome. Some of us have so much negativity towards our current situations Uh, that we'll we'll never get out of it because we are creating the very world we're living in with our mentality. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, uh, renew your mind, 12, 1 and 2. Uh, You are transformed in your life by renewing your mind. If you can't get your mind there, you'll never get your life there. You need to get a hold of this because too many of us are uh, are waiting on the outside to change until uh, 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 until we live what we know God has for us. Too many of us are waiting for external things to change rather than changing what's internal right here between my ears. If I don't change my mind. If I don't change. My thinking, See, that's why Jesus showed up and, 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 and he came preaching a gospel. He didn't come preaching, uh, we're all going to heaven. He didn't come preaching, I'm going to go die on a cross for your sins and save you from hell. That's not what he preached. Go read it. He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, within reach. Repent doesn't mean come down to an altar and ask God for forgiveness of all your sins and all the bad stuff you've ever done in your life. Change your thinking. That's literally what that word means. That's literally what repent means. Repent doesn't mean come down here and and, and wail and cry and then go back to your chair and, and, and walk out the door and go back to doing what you were doing. It means change your thinking. And Jesus said change your thinking because of this. You will never receive what I have in my kingdom for you if you don't start thinking like my kingdom. You'll miss everything. And the religious people missed everything God had for them because they didn't repent. They kept thinking like Leviticus and they kept thinking like Deuteronomy and they kept thinking like the Ten Commandments. And they kept wanting to stone people that were in adultery and they kept wanting to, 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 to uh, carry out all this condemnation and judgment on people. That's why the tragedies that happened last week is so ridiculous because that gentleman just carried out a sentence that not even Jesus himself would carry out. In fact, Jesus said, you know what? You should die. But I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die in your place. He died so that all the individuals in that scenario wouldn't have to die. That they could be living today and fruitful in their purpose today. It's it's, It's an unrepentant mind that wants to bear condemnation upon souls... That God has given you the very ability to help them change and live differently. But we don't repent. So we don't see it differently. You can't see life differently if you don't change your thinking. If you don't change your mindset. If you don't change your mentality. I cannot change your financial situation if you don't change how you think about money. Period. If you don't, if you don't change how you think... According to God's word about finances and putting God first and making him the Lord over your finances and tithing and giving to the church and, and, and being generous, you will never change your financial outcome. Do all, go to all the seminars you want, read all the books you want, uh, do all the little saving techniques and go to the banker and, and figure out. You can do all you want, but until you apply a different mentality to money according to God's word, Here's a question I get asked a lot. Why do all these people that live in the world, why do all these sinners have so much money? You know why? Because there are keys to the kingdom of heaven. You need to get a hold of this. This is going to set you free. Quit crying about all the actors and all the, the, the stars and the politicians and all, all the people uh, uh, that have all this money. And they, God, they don't even serve you. They don't even love you. Why do they have a quick crying about all that stuff and learn to apply the key to the kingdom of heaven concerning finances like they have. What do you mean they've applied a key? They, they, they don't even live in the kingdom of God. The door doesn't care if you're a Christian or not. The key in the kingdom of God is the key, regardless of what you believe. And many of those people are more generous than the church. The church will send prayers and an actor will send a a million-dollar check. And then we wonder why they're receiving something. Because the key of generosity is the key of generosity. It works. When you give, it shall be given unto you. Period. The key doesn't care if you believe in Jesus and if you're going to heaven. why are we not applying principles that people in the world are applying and they're seeing the results from the principle and we're not even applying it. The world is obtaining things that the church ought to have because they're applying principles that the church ought to be applying. That's the bottom line. And I don't even know how I got off on that. I'm talking about an outlook. And I'm talking about how your outlook will determine your outcome. I'm talking about I can see it now. I'm talking about seeing it now. And so we've got to get a hold of this. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. We were in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 earlier. Go right over to Hebrews chapter 12. You know, Jesus had to apply these very principles in his life. Jesus had to apply. You, you, you think you know? The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted with you know with every temptation we've endured. He's been through it, and he overcame it. So if you want to learn how to get out of something, if you want to learn how to to, to overcome a, a trial in your life or something that's coming against you, uh, why don't we just look to our greatest example? Let's just look at Jesus. And Hebrews chapter twelve verse one. Therefore, we also. and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy. What joy? Tell me what joy there is in having your back beat open. Tell me what joy there is in being despised and shamed before all men. Tell me what joy there is in being spit upon. Tell me what joy there is in being punched in the face uh, over and over. across down a long road uh, with your back beat open and, and, and just going through the uh, uttermost torture that you've been through in the last 48 hours. Uh, uh, tell me what joy there is in having a nail driven through your hands and driven through your feet. Where's the joy? No, it's because Jesus saw something different. I, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus saw something different, that he did, had a different outlook from his trial. Jesus had a different outlook. He saw something beyond. And see, we, we just get lost in the trial. We get lost in what's coming against us. We get lost in what's breaking down. We get lost in, 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 in everything that's going wrong. Beyond that, we don't really see what is now. And Jesus endured the trial and endured the the, the issues. Look, he was in the same situation you and I are in. Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, but what did he end up with? Not my will, your will. Why? Because... I see it now. I see your provision now. I see what you have planned for the future now. Because the Bible tells us that he was a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And so what you are waiting on God to do in your life and what you are waiting to see uh, in the natural external position, God has already done in the spiritual position. James chapter 1 uh, verse 2. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We've ministered on this before. Most of us count it all joy when we get out of various trials. And his word says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's because you see it now. It's because you see it now. But but God, you you promised this to me, but but all I see is just chaotic mess. First thing he's going to ask you is, how are you framing it? Because how you frame it determines the picture you see. We saw that last week. The next thing he's going to ask is, do you see it now or do you you keep talking about your marriage as a future thing? Do you keep talking about your home as a future thing? Well, one day we'll have this and and God, I'm still believing for this. There is a time, there is a time where the church needs to rise up and start claiming what already belongs to them. Claiming what already belongs to you. Demanding. Demanding. What already belongs to you. That may sound different than what some of your other churches and pastors and upbringings and parents have told you. That, you know, it's in God's will and it's in God's timing. But I'm telling you today, right now, in front of you today, that God has already made those things. He's already provided those things. And it's your responsibility to claim it. The land already belonged to the Israelites. There was nothing. They didn't need to go pray to God. They didn't need to go in their prayer closet. They didn't need to fast and pray and get before God and and offer up sacrifices and burn all kinds of stuff and kill all kinds. He already spoke to them and said, this is your land. Go in and take it. Possess it. Claim it. Demand it. praying about sickness and disease when you should already be demanding God's healing that's already been provided for you. The back has already been beaten open. The stripes were laid upon him and by his stripes, you are healed, are healed. Not waiting for it. Now all I'm doing is I'm just waiting for it to show up in the natural, but in the spiritual, it's already there. And faith does not create something. Faith doesn't create healing. Faith doesn't create finances. Faith doesn't create love. Faith moves it from heaven to earth. Everything you need is already yours. You're in the kingdom, right? Are you in the kingdom this morning? If you're not, we can take care of that. But if you're in the kingdom, then kingdom provision belongs to you. Quit praying for stuff he's already made available to you. Next week, we're going to have a lot of fun because we're going to talk about praise and thanksgiving. It's not something I don't believe the church is very good at. We, 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 we hardly praise and worship when we're in here and we've got all the emotional music and, 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 and you know, all the, the songy stuff and, and everyone hitting the right note and all the good stuff. But how are you praising at home? How are you lifting your hands at home? How are you thanking God at home, in your car, uh, when everything's falling apart? Well, don't get me started on that because that's next week. I'm not going to preach next week. Sometimes the only way out of a trial is through the trial. You're looking for a way out and God has made a way something by faith. You can obtain something by faith, but you maintain it by working. And this is the problem that the church isn't very good at. We want to sit back and God is just, uh, you know, our genie in the bottle and we just ask God to bless us and give us this thing and then we don't want to do anything to take care of it. You're asking God to bless you with a new car and you can't maintain the car payment. You're asking God to bless you with a, with, with a spouse that's loving and you can't respond to them in a loving manner. You can't maintain what God has blessed you with. You've asked God to bless you with the job, and then you show up 10 minutes late every day. Come on, God. We have a responsibility in the deal. You got something to do. There's something for you to do on your part. We're asking God. uh, Let me tell you, let me put it this way. God will do what only he can do. God won't do what only you can do. This is good stuff, guys. This, this is a lot better than you're shouting me back. But I'm, I'm sure that it's just resounding within your minds right now. And, and, and that you're just, you know, kind of getting this stuff. I know this might sound a little different from the, the indoctrination that takes place uh, uh, within the church especially in these last days where everybody just wants to suck me up and get me into heaven mentality. But I'm telling you today that there are things that God has already provided you for that's already available and you're going to have to claim it and then you're going to have to work at it and then you're going to have to maintain it. Hebrews chapter 12 again, verse 2 says that for the joy Set before him. Set before him. He endured. He endured. Last point I want to make. You can't go where you can't see. You can't go. The other day I was walking with Target, or not with Target, with Camden in Target. Target. first walk in, I guess it's not always there, apparently, since Camden has memorized. I think I talk about Camden and Target quite a bit. But Camden has memorized the floor plan, apparently. So he thinks that he can walk into the store looking down at whatever he's doing or looking around. And so we walk in the store and they had this big In, and I don't know what he was doing because I wasn't paying attention to him. I'm looking ahead. I'm looking. So we're walking, and he runs smack dab into the thing and falls on the ground. I mean, he runs straight in, I mean, full on. Like he didn't brace himself, nothing. I, I don't know if he was, I, I don't remember what he was doing. And I just look back, and he's laying on the ground in front of the DVD rack about knocked the thing over just falls flat on his back in the middle of Target and I pick him up and I said Cam to him you gotta look where you're going you gotta look where you're going and I'm telling you today you gotta look where you're going if you only look where you're at You'll never get anywhere different. You're running in circles because you're looking in circles. You're in the same place you were last week because you're looking in the same place you were last week. Look ahead. Look up. Look around. Look out. Look where you're going. Jesus wasn't looking at the cross. He looked at beyond the cross. He saw what happens if I go through the cross. If I go through the trial, this is what happens as a result. See, many of us only have an outlook based upon what is right in front of us. But when you change your outlook to see your outcome, then you will endure what you're in because you know that there is a reward on the other side. Is this registering with anybody? Is this hitting anybody? Are you getting anything out of this? You've got to look where you're going. You won't go anywhere different if you don't see anything different. This is what God is trying to say. This is what he was trying to tell the Israelites. All they saw was giants. All they saw was a bunch of tribes in their land. All they saw was fortified cities. And God said, you tear it up. You break it down. You call those walls to fall down. My goodness. You only go where you can see. Where you're at today, where your marriage is at today, your financial situation you're in today, Whatever situation, whatever wh- wh- whatever you're in today, you are in as a result of what you're looking at, period. I wish that I could just stand up, it, uh, stand up here as your pastor today and just say that God's got it all in control. He's, he's on the throne. He reigns. You just sit back, enjoy the ride, keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times, buckle up. If that's not what the Bible says, then I can only preach to you the Bible. I can only preach to you what this says. I can only preach to you what God's word says. Look around you. Look ahead. God has such a great life in store for you. Chase, if you come up, God has such a great destiny.